Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 5, The Hex... Uh, intelligence? Alright, here's the scene. Out in the arid environs of Southern Africa, there lives the incredibly cute meerkat. And that's right, we're opening with merely a cat this time instead of a bird. Oh, but don't worry, the birds are coming, I promise. Through the day, these cats forage and play in the dunes and scrub, and at dusk they retire to burrows where they stay warm and snug against the frigid night air. They're a special type of social mongoose, and the key to their success is that every member of the family looks out for everyone else. While they forage, there is always a sentry on duty, standing guard against any stalking predators. As I'm sure you well know, they pop up onto their hind legs, ears pricked, all alert and adorable. Birds, I told you we'd get to them, are some of their greatest enemies. Hawks, eagles, raptors, always ready to swoop in to snatch one unawares and tear out their throat. I mean, hey, birds gotta eat. But the bird also has to work hard to catch one off guard. The first glimmer of a wing on the horizon and the sentry will let out a warning cry, sending the entire family skittering back to their burrows and safety. But sometimes, a meerkat has more to worry about from birds than just a gruesome death. Fork-tailed drongos have been known to hang out near meerkat clans. These are sleek, large-billed birds, all black, with a predictably forked tail. They're distantly related to crows, but they really belong to their own family. People in Australia may be familiar with the insult, you bloody drongo, which is tangentially related to the bird and has its own interesting story. It all started with a racehorse in the 1920s, which had a reputation for... No, we don't have time to get into that. We need to stay focused on the fact that while our meerkat friends are busy hunting down juicy grubs and beetles, the drongo watches with jealous eyes. And as it watches, it hatches a plan. In the distance, the drongo spots an approaching hawk before the sentry can and lets out a warning call. The meerkats pay heed to the alarm and quickly scurry off to their burrows. The drongo has earned their trust. Once the danger has passed, the meerkats re-emerge and go about their foraging business. Suddenly, they hear the drongo's warning call again and, once again, they drop what they're doing and make for the hills, uh, rather holes. But this time, it's a false alarm. The drongo had waited until it spied a meerkat with a particularly plump grub before letting out the call. And now, with the meerkat having abandoned its meal, the drongo is free to swoop in and steal it. Naturally, our meerkat friends are miffed. The next time the drongo plays this trick, they aren't so easily fooled and ignore its siren song. But our story isn't quite over yet, because the drongo has one last trick up its wing. As the meerkats continue to forage, out of nowhere they hear a new alarm call. But this is no bird. It is the alarm of their own sentry. This call cannot be ignored. And once again, they flee to safety. And as they turn back to pick out of their burrow, they see the drongo swoop in once more to steal their dinner. For you see, the drongo is also an apt mimic and has learned to imitate the meerkat sentry. Our furry little friends are once again cheated out of their dinner, and the drongo laughs its snooty bird laugh. <laughs> Something like that. It's pretty crafty, hey? Because in fooling these cats, our bird shows that it has an appreciation for what is going on in their mind. It has wits enough to know how to earn their trust, 
and then how to betray them. But as far as clever tricks go, the Drongo is not alone in the avian world. Quite the opposite. Because as it turns out, birds may well be some of the most intelligent creatures we've ever come across. Tiny tits, I'm talking about the birds, not memories, have learned how to open milk bottles, so I guess memory adjacent. Hummingbirds have an episodic memory, something that for ages we thought only humans had. And pigeons have been trained to do all sorts of tricks, from recognising words to guiding missiles. But those are all stories for another time. It's taken us an embarrassingly long time to appreciate avian intelligence because for centuries we believed intelligence belonged exclusively to us. Humans ran on reason, animals ran on instinct. And if you suggested otherwise, you were a heretic. But what exactly is intelligence? What do I mean when I say something is smart? We should probably clear that up before we go any further. Well, in a shock twist, there's little agreement on an actual definition for what intelligence is. You can maybe think of it as the amount of power you have to run cognitive tasks. It's a measure of how good you are at processing information, understanding things like cause and effect, and then using that to take advantageous action. But in the broad, intelligence can be thought of as a set of cognitive tools rather than one discrete thing. Memory, language, learning, imagination, a sense of self, something called the theory of mind, which we'll come back to. How these things all interrelate plays a big part in how intelligent an animal is. Humans are pretty good at all of these tasks, and for a long time we thought we were the only ones that could do any of them. Yeah, until we begrudgingly let monkeys and apes into the club. But they were mammals. Birds, though. Birds? Come on. No bird ain't smart. But maybe it's time to rethink what intelligence looks like. Because as it turns out, birds can pretty much do everything we thought only humans could. Yeah, and maybe that's counterintuitive. I mean, you look at a bird and it's tiny. Unless it's an ostrich, which ironically is one of the dumber birds. They don't have big heads. So how can something with such a tiny brain be smart? Take a crow, for example. Crows are some of the smartest birds flapping about, but... They've only got a brain about the size of a rabbit, an animal that isn't exactly known for its ability to solve quadratic equations. How does any of that make sense? It turns out Evolution has come up with about three unique designs for making an intelligent creature. The first is the mammalian way. The second is the cephalopod way. I'm talking about octopuses, pie here. And the third is the avian way. So how do birds do it? Well, as any man will tell you, it isn't the size that counts, it's how you use it. And that's certainly true for brains. It turns out size isn't all that important. What's more important is the ratio between the size of the brain and the rest of the body, and the second is how many neurons can you fit into that brain. But on average, birds pack about twice as many neurons into the same space as mammals. That means for some of the smarter birds, they're pretty much on par with primates. You should think of them more like flying chimps, a la the Wizard of Oz. Uh, I was going to insert a soundbite of the Wicked Witch of the West saying, fly my pretties, but it turns out she actually doesn't say that in the film. Go figure. So I guess I'll say it instead? <clears throat> fly! Fly my pretties! <laughs> That's done. So who are these nerds? Who are the super smart birds? There are two families in particular. 
The first are the Sitokines, you know them as parrots, and that's Sitokine spelt with a silent P as in the word psychology. The other family are the Corvids, crows, ravens, jays, etc. And that's Corvid spelt without any P to speak of, silent or otherwise, as in the word Venezuela. Tools, language, games, problem solving, they do it all. But before we really dive into the genius birds, I want to highlight that many birds are capable of fancy feats of intelligence. Take a finch, for example. Not a bird you would think of as being overly smart. Yet, on the Galapagos Islands, the woodpecker finch is an expert tool user. They're not actually finches, they're a New World Sparrow, but don't worry about that. These finches are famed for their ability to use twigs or cactus spines as a kind of skewer to shishkebab their prey and pry them out of hard-to-reach places. They will quite purposefully select, experiment with, and alter their skewers to create the perfect tool. But there are limits to how impressive this feat is. It seems this isn't a learned behaviour, but rather tool use has somehow been hardwired into their genetics. You see, not all woodpecker finches use tools, and the behaviour can't be learnt by watching another finch do it. In other words, if you've got a finch that doesn't use a tool to watch a finch that does, it's never going to work out how to make a skewer. It could watch another finch run a grub through every day for the rest of its life, and it's never going to put two and two together to work out how to do it itself. Rather, it seems there is a critical time in the development of young finches where, if they are exposed to the right materials, they will naturally experiment and develop the tool-using skill on their own. No teaching required. But if you miss that window, you ain't ever going to pick the trick up. It's maybe analogous to how babies learn language. For children, there is a critical window in development where they will very easily learn a language. But, as has been well documented in a few tragic cases, if a child is deprived of language during this window, it becomes almost impossible for them to acquire it later in life. So, while it might be easy to dismiss finch tool use as just part of their genetic makeup without accepting it as a true sign of intelligence, is it any different to something like language in humans? Turns out brains are rather tricky things. But let's set all that aside, and after the break, we'll dig into some of the truly smart birds. But first, we have a message from our sponsor. This week's show is brought to you by penguins. Penguins, professional proprietors of formal attire. Whether I'm out at a black tie event, or just watching the opera in my living room, I always reach for penguins. They've been the final word in formal wear since the Paleolithic period. They offer a quality you can trust, and a look so cool you'd think you're in the middle of an Antarctic blizzard. Penguins, rejecting flight for over 70 million years. And now, on with the show! Tool usage in animals has been held up as a hallmark of intelligence for a long time. Just think of those chimps fishing for termites with twigs. Mind blown! But you don't have to hunt for long to find birds that can do it too. Finches do it, parrots do it, crows do it, and, unexpectedly, Herons do it as well. Now, herons are a long-legged, long-necked, freshwater-wading bird. They're pescatarians and spend their time hunting for fish. But how to catch them? It's an awful lot of work stalking a fish. All the more easy if you can make the fish come to you. I'm sure you've spent time at the beach and you've encountered seagulls and thrown them the odd chip or piece of bread and they've guzzled it down without a second thought. Well, 
a green heron wouldn't do that. Uh, just breaking in here with a quick PSA, don't feed birds bread, it's really bad for them. Back to the show. A green heron wouldn't do that. Oh, don't get me wrong, it's gonna take the bread, but it will take it to its favourite fishing spot and use it as bait to lure in a tastier treat. And they're quite strategic about it. If they see a fish that's too big coming for the bait, they'll take it out of the water so as not to waste it. They use all sorts of things for bait. Bread, feathers, insects, attractive neckties, whatever they can get their beak on. But the tool usage isn't the remarkable thing. Well, it is, but there's another remarkable thing. It's their ability to plan for the future. They're able to hold off taking a lesser treat in anticipation for a greater reward. They have self-restraint. It's something even adult humans struggle with. I'm sure you've heard of the classic Stanford marshmallow experiment, where they put a small child in a room alone with a marshmallow and tell them they can eat it now, or if they wait for 15 minutes, they can have two. If you've never seen the footage of this, you should look it up because it is hilarious watching kids twist themselves into knots as they try not to eat a marshmallow. Sometimes the kids manage to hold off eating it, sometimes they don't. But if you put a heron in that situation, it's going to pass the test every time because what the heron has is an ability to resist an impulse, to plan, to envisage a future, which I think is pretty neat. But herons, for the most part, are solitary birds. Usually, birds that live in social groups tend to be smarter. Because once you introduce a social hierarchy, suddenly there are a lot of individual relationships that need to be maintained. You have to understand your place in the group and everyone else's place, and that all takes more brain power. So let's move on to parrots, which are highly social animals. Now, of course, parrots are most famous for their ability to talk. We've all heard it. And anyone will tell you that they're not talking, they're only mimicking. And in the bird world, that isn't extraordinary. Dozens of birds do it, we met one right at the top of the show. But have you ever considered that in the wild, Parrots don't mimic anything. They just make parrot noises. Roll the audio! Mmm, melodic. So what's going on? Well, all parrots have a signature call that is unique to them. They're technically known as contact calls, but you can think of them as being sort of like their name. This isn't unique either. All sorts of animals have similar sorts of identifying sounds that they can make. But with parrots, it is different, because not only do they make their own unique call, but they also learn the unique calls of their fellow flock mates. And now, we're starting to get close to something that could be thought of as language. You see, most animals might use their contact call like this. Hi, this is Phil. My name is Phil. I'm going to get some food. My name is Phil. Just to reiterate, Phil. But with parrots, it's a little bit more like, Hey, Jerry, Phil here. You want to go over there and get some food? Phil, great to see you. Let's do that. Great idea. My name is Jerry. So in the wild, parrots will learn the call of their comrades and use these to communicate with each other. It's a handy trick for a social animal. It's the ability to purposefully pick out a partner and communicate with them directly. When they're placed in captivity, though, they're deprived of social groups, and so they try to learn the sounds of whatever's around them in an attempt to create bonds where they can, be it human voices, electronic beeps, TV theme songs, etc. It's actually a little sad when you think about it. They're lonely and reaching out for connection. But we are finding that birds might be more sophisticated communicators than we originally thought. 
For example, the New Holland Honey Eater, in just a couple of calls, can communicate the nature, speed, number, and direction of a danger by altering its alarm call in subtle ways. They can communicate this information not only to their fellow honey eaters, but studies have shown that other birds that live alongside them will also respond appropriately to the same calls. That's a lot of information to encode into a few chirps, and some experiments show that birds may even visualise images in their mind prompted by these chirps. What do I mean by that? Well, if the alarm call is coding for snake, the birds will respond specifically to a serpent threat. They'll scan places where a snake might tend to be and be overly responsive to anything that resembles a snake. They also become highly suspicious about any promises made about knowing good from evil. Whereas if the alarm call is about, say, a predatory bird, they'll look to the sky. Researchers think it's the first example of an animal that can produce a visual image in their mind of what the language is encoding for. Just like when you hear the words ball, beach and bat, you get an image in your head of what those things are, even though I'm sure half of you pictured a baseball bat and the other half pictured a winged mouse. Language is a slippery thing. Just how much gossip is going on between the shrubs, we don't know. But we're starting to think it's a lot more than we originally thought. But just how sophisticated can a bird's grasp of language get? This brings me to one of the most famous birds that ever lived, an African grey parrot named Alex. He's got his own Wikipedia page, trust me, he's famous. Alex was part of a 30-year study into birds' ability to pick up language. And that's Alex, short for Avian Learning Experiment. Yes, scientists love their acronyms. The African Grey, not to be confused with the Norwegian Blue, they very rarely pine for the Congo, is renowned for its ability to mimic language, and many can learn upwards of 100 words. But Alex was a superstar. Won't go into everything he could do, but just to give you some flavour. When presented with an object, he could correctly identify its shape, colour, and what it was made out of. He had a capacity to understand numbers, and even seemed to grasp the concept of zero or nothing. If he was shown two identical objects and asked what the difference between them was, he would say, none. He seemed to understand that meaning was associated with words. For example, if he asked for a banana but was given a nut, he would throw the nut on the ground and keep asking for a banana until he got it. Some said he was about as smart as a five-year-old, and yeah, that behaviour tracks. But it showed that he had a desire and could communicate that desire with language. But maybe the most amazing thing Alex ever said was the simple phrase, what colour? He asked that question when looking at himself in a mirror and was taught how to say the word grey. Now, I know that sounds mundane, but to date, this is the only example of any animal ever asking a question. Gorillas have been taught to communicate with sign language, but even so, not one of them has ever asked a question. This is special, because it implies something called a theory of mind. It's the idea that there are other people in the world, aside from you, who have different perspectives, beliefs, desires, and intentions, and may hold information that you don't. It's the recognition of a mind that exists outside of your own, and when you have this ability, you can make guesses about what that mind might be thinking. Of course, we can never know for sure what someone else is thinking, but then that's why we call it a theory of mind. 
Without a theory of mind, you'd never ask a question because you'd never have the capacity to understand that someone might know something that you don't. People don't acquire this ability until between the ages of three and five. So when Alex asked that question, it implied there was something deeper going on. Of course, there are many naysayers who claim Alex's feats are just an example of rote learning, that he didn't understand the true meaning of words, he'd just been trained to say the right thing at the right time. But the mere cat, I mean, but the mere fact that no one can say with 100% certainty whether he was just doing fancy tricks or had an actual grasp of language, means that whatever he was doing must have been pretty darn impressive. And that brings me to the last bird I want to talk about today, because the theory of mind is something that pops up in other bird species, most famously in corvids. Now, all corvids are highly social, so are pretty smart, but the new Caledonian crow may take the cake. So what can they do? They use tools for starters, they can use sticks to extract food from crevices, just like a woodpecker finch, but they're different because they can learn to use tools. Researchers have given them all sorts of puzzles and experiments to test their tool using ability, and they can even solve problems that take more than one tool to figure out. In one classic experiment, a piece of food is placed behind a screen out of reach. Behind another screen is a stick that is long enough to get at it, but it's also out of reach. But they do have access to a shorter stick which they can use to get the bigger stick, and then finally get the food. When presented with this problem for the first time, having never seen it before, many of the crows were able to solve it without any trial and error. The record for one bird from seeing the food to getting the food was 22 seconds flat. What this implies is that they aren't picking up a behaviour by chance after numerous unsuccessful attempts, but they're looking at what's available to them and running a series of steps in their mind before taking action. They can plan. If that doesn't impress you, I don't know what will. They can also learn from observation. If one crow watches another bird solve a problem that it's never seen before, it can then perform the same task. And of course, they also display that pesky theory of mind. Let me explain how this one works. Crows have a habit of hiding food in caches for later eating. This alone represents a great feat of spatial memory. Some corvids can remember the location of up to 2,000 caches for over six months. Do you know where you left your car keys? But that isn't my point. My point is they're sneaky. They will spy on each other to work out where these hidey holes are and then raid them when the owner isn't watching. However, if the crow with the cache realises it's being watched, it will pretend to store its food in one place, when really, it's hidden somewhere else, so as to throw the spy crow off the trail. It shows that they can put themselves in the shoes of the spy, and act in a way to trick them. Which again, is just incredible. All the time, we are learning more about the sophisticated minds of birds. Just in the last couple of years, researchers have been trailing cockatoos around the suburbs of Sydney on garbage collection day. It seems some of the birds have worked out how to break into wheelie bins, and the trick has been spreading through the flock as a great example of social learning between individuals. I mean, when it comes to sophisticated behaviour, it doesn't get any better than breaking into trash cans. More and more research is going on all the time, and I think we've only just scratched the surface when it comes to bird brains and what they can do. Given enough time, 
who knows what they might be capable of. I, for one, look forward to my own personal, highly trained bird army. Fly, my pretties! <laughs> Join me again next time when we'll be doing something a little different. We're going to take a look at just one single bird species. Will I have enough material to string out an entire episode, or will it be a flaming disaster? I guess you'll have to tune in next time to find out. Is one bird, however often I release this podcast, not enough for you? Then I've got some good news. If you'd like a bird to arrive in your inbox every week, simply send an email to weekly.bird at outlook.com and I'll add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list. No ads, no subscriber fees, just beautiful birds flying at you each and every week. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week.